Now admit it. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Physically and electronically. But it is great to be together and worship together. My hope and prayer, my goal for us this morning is that you would walk out of this place, that you would come to the conclusion of our worship time together, and that you would be greatly encouraged. Um, encouraged, that, that's an interesting word. Uh, naturally, we, we uh, go into the background of it. It comes uh, uh, from the French word for uh, heart, cour. Um, courage is to be enheartened, is to have heart. And so uh, when we say encourage your heart, it's sort of like a, a repetitious. We want to enhearten your heart. But I, I, would, I would just pray that you would go out of this place and, and from this time of worship with a real heart for life and just uh, emboldened and encouraged uh, that great things are yet before us. I don't know about you, but for me, lately it's, it's easy to become discouraged. Uh, you look at the things uh, around us, um, you know, one of the best advices that, that, that you can get is, is just turn off the television, uh, just, just don't watch it. I mean, that was always good advice, but right now it's like really, really good advice um, because we, we see uh, there on the films, we, we see the, uh, the conflict that's in our nation today and the strife and the battling that's going on and, 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 you know, just sort of the violent rhetoric, and that's just Congress. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, but we are. Our, our hearts are touched by uh, the, the different reasons that people are, are in the streets, some there uh, striving for uh, honoring the dignity of life and really hoping for better lives uh, for others and that our society would grow from others uh, in the streets longing to see destruction and mayhem and tear everything down and maybe I'll be the last man standing and I'll be in charge when it's over. I mean, there's just, there's just so many different things going on. It, it's hard even to know uh, what, what, what's being advocated and, and then you start to worry about the, the country and the nation. It, it, it's nothing new, uh, really, when you think about it. Uh, my um, early ex- I- I- memories and experience of societal upheaval comes from the 1960s. Doesn't that make me sound like really old? <laughs> and the, the tragic thing, if I had said 1860s, you would have believed that too. But, but in, in, in the 1960s, you know, and we had the, the riots in the streets and the police dogs and the fire hoses and, and, and the brutality, we had the um, uh, the, the anti-war demonstrations, the Chicago Democratic Convention. No, am I saying stuff that, that rings a bell with you? No. Uh, you know, if you're history of, uh, as a student of history, maybe you remember this. Chicago 7, the Symbionese Liberation Army, and you know, all those kinds of things. And, and the year of assassination in 1968, Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy and um, you know, and, and it's, it's very easy at that time to, to come to the conclusion things are falling apart. And we'll never get through this. We'll never get out of this. And somehow we did. And uh, you know, I really thought we had grown from it as a nation. And then uh, we come into more recent times and we just find the same sort of dynamics going on a- a- again. It's almost like people are human beings. You know, it's almost like 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 they're they're that way. And then on top of that, there's a the whole COVID shut-in thing, and you start to wonder, you know, will anything ever be normal? Is there a normal to be normal again with? I mean, it's uh, it, it's hard to know. 
We look at the life of our church here and we're very anxious to be worshiping together and as people are comfortable, as the, uh, as the medical authorities uh, tell us that it's safe to come together and we want to be honoring of one another and, and the, the needs for, um, uh, for safety and health and, 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 and respecting that in a very large degree. But at the same time, uh, we're, we're agonizing about what about our children? And how do we educate our children? How do we bring them on in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? And, and of course, the, 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 the front line for that is the home, mom and dad, teaching Scripture, teaching the truths of God, sharing Christ with their children. I mean, that's really where it has to happen uh, no matter what's going on. But children are very physical people. Uh, they they think in, in very physical terms. And so when you talk about going to church, belonging to church, they actually want to go somewhere and be somewhere and see something. And children need that. And, and we're very anxious to get the, the discipling of our children going again and, and to find some kind of mechanism where we can do that safely. And so we worry about those kinds of things. I don't know if you're there yet, but I'm starting to worry about a lot of things I never thought I'd worry about. Can you all say Medicare? <laughs> I mean, this is just like a whole new new world for us. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They have this thing in Medicare where you go in for what's called a wellness visit, and uh, you know, and you think you're just going to go in there and they're going to say, "Oh, how you feeling? Great. Hey, that's wonderful." No, they're checking you out, and they don't even tell you. They're sort of like looking at you, say, "Is he nuts?" You know? <laughs> Is his mind going on him? Yeah. And the three words. You guys don't know about this. They give you three words at the beginning of the, of, of the, of the exam. They say, I'm going to give you three words, and I'll ask you later on what they are. <clears throat> you know, and, and what you have is visions of, if I don't remember these three words, they're going to put me away. <laughs> I know they're going to do it. So they give you three words. And, uh, <laughs> and the thing is, they give you the same three words every year. Uh, but they actually have, uh, I think, two or three sets of words. Uh, uh, they, one, one set of words is, is uh, banana chair and sunshine and, 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 or sunrise. And the other, see, they're going to put me away now. And then you know, the, other, the other set of words is something like village and kitchen and baby. And then, then uh, there's, there's one set with umbrella. I haven't gotten that one yet. But, um, but the thing is, and, and you'll love this, and you'll get there someday. So just plan on it. But all of us old guys, here's what we do. We call each other up. What are the words this year? <laughs> okay, it's village, kitchen, baby. Got it. That's kitchen. Wrote it down on the palm of my hand. You know, the nurse comes in. I'm going to give you three words: banana, chair, and sun. That's not it. <laughs> I know you're going to put me away. So there's a lot of things to be worried about, and if you pass or you fail, a lot of things to be discouraged about. But even more directly, you, you've encountered discouragement in your life and in your Christian walk even uh, where uh, things just don't work out quite the way you thought they would. Uh, you know, you hit the, the 40s, maybe you're there and you're starting to understand that midlife crisis isn't a concept, it's a reality. You know, and the dreams that you had and the aspirations you had, they're just sort of like a little pile of ashes. And you start to realize some of the things you thought you would do, you're never going to do. And uh, some of the things you thought you'd never do, you find out you're going to have to do them. And, and reality of life starts caving in. And none of that compares to the, 
to the burden and the, and the problem when you hit a, 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 a spell of depression and darkness in your life. You know, even when you know where it comes from, you know, well, I've, I've suffered a tragedy or I've, I've, I've suffered a loss in the family. I mean, I've gone through a painful episode in my life. And so, yeah, I'm depressed. Of course, I'm sad. And, and, you, and, you, and you feel sort of discouraged about that. But then even more so when you don't know where it came from and just sort of out of the blue, it's like the darkness attacks you and, and you go through that. And then in our spiritual walk, you, you start to wonder, well, where's God in all this? Does it really make any difference at all? And the answer is, it's not just that he makes the difference. It's not enough to say he is the difference. It's to say God hasn't ever changed. And he is constant. And the discouragements we feel cannot be affected uh, by anything when we're latched onto God who is unchanging and always God. It is as true today as it was before the foundation of the world that God is upon his throne and that he reigns gloriously and that his will for us is absolutely perfect. It is true today as it has been for all eternity that the lamb is standing in the midst of the throne and now he stands as one slain from the foundations of the world who has given his life for us. It is true today as it has been throughout the history of the church, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us and that God Himself is working in our midst even now and present here even now. And our God is not bound by the problems of the world and He is not limited by the things that concern us, but rather our God reigns entirely and supremely over all things. We experience the discouragement. But because we know Him, we do not give up. And we are now encouraged. Paul talks that uh, about that. This is in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I, I just want to read the first five verses for us uh, this morning. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, Noah, how I... <laughs> In order to get to two, we should have gone through chapter one. Let me just give you a real quick rundown on chapter one um, in, in, in just three basic ideas. Uh, and this would be in chapter one if you want to glance at it. It's verses 13 through 15. But Paul says, you know, you've got to remember something about Jesus. You've got to remember that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Everything that God is, Jesus is. Everything that God ordains and, and controls, Jesus ordains and controls. Everything that God desires is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so if you ever say, where's God in all this? You just turn to your Bible. You open up. You start to read the scriptures. Old Testament, you see him promised. New Testament, you see the promise fulfilled. Gospels, you see his life. You hear his words. Where is God in all this? Just open up your Bible and you will see. For the Jesus of whom the Bible bears testimony, this Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And not only that, but he is also the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was created and he's just like, well, the the first to be created. Firstborn of all creation is a matter of status. 
He is above all creation. All creation serves Him. Everything in the universe exists for the glory of Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father. He is the firstborn of all creation. means that everything that's going on in our world, in our creation around us, all of that is under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. None of it can frustrate His plan and His will for us. It absolutely belongs to Him. So He's the, the image of God. He's the firstborn of all creation. And He is head of the body of the church. Now it, now it comes closer to our, to our home and to our, to our church family. But Jesus Christ is the head of our church. He is the one who rules in this place. He is the one who is sovereign in our fellowship and in our relationships. You know, we, we really don't need to have a debate about who's in charge here. It is Jesus Christ. Now we, we have to pray about that and discuss it and share one with another and search the scriptures and those things. But ultimately what we know and what guides us and directs us is the fact that Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. And so because of all that, because of who Jesus is and the glory of who he is, Paul writes to the Colossians and he says this, because of all that, that's the meaning of the word for there. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have. Wait a minute. He says, I want you to know how, how I'm struggling here. The word there is agona. Uh, we get our word agony from it. It's a word that originally uh, talked about uh, wrestlers, like in the Olympics, Greco-Roman wrestling. Not WWE, folks, but, but it was, you know, but it, it was, uh, uh, the, the, the wrestling where, where one, uh, competitor against the other and they, they would be pushing back against each other. Who could, who could gain, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the victory and the, uh, the ascendancy there. And so in this, this struggle, this agony, Paul says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling. See, now this doesn't ring true with us. Now, I, I thought he was supposed to get up and say, for I want you to know how everything's fine for me because I love God. Saying, you know, I, everything's going really well for me because I have Jesus in my life. He says, I just want you to know that I am the best possible me I could be. You know, and all these riches and wealth and all this prosperity is coming my way because I have faith. But Paul says, I want you to know I'm struggling here. I'm working at it here. See, struggles aren't anything new. Struggles aren't anything to be ashamed of. Having a struggle in life is, is, doesn't mean that, oh, somehow I'm disqualified, I'm, I'm failing here. All it means is that you exist in a world that has fallen rebellious against God and you're, you're being bombarded by that rebellion and by that sinfulness in the world around us. And Paul says, I want you to know how I am really struggling here. The struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Laodicea was a city about 12 miles away from Colossae. At this time, it was actually a, a much more prominent city. Um, Paul evidently had never been to Laodicea. We do, we're not sure that he has actually ever been to, to Colossae either. For he says, I, I have this struggle for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. He says, I'm struggling for you. I, I may never have met you, but I'm struggling for you. And uh, there, there's a sense in which you could say, well, that, that, that includes the imprisonment and the beatings and the, uh, the, the, uh, the hunger and the shipwreck. And, you know, all, all, maybe that's what he means by the struggle. I think he means more than that. And Paul says, I'm struggling for you. I've never met you, but I'm struggling for you. And I think what he means is 
Because I'm preaching the gospel and I'm not getting sidetracked from it. And I'm not allowing the opposition that comes my way outside the church, inside the fellowship. You know, there are people who didn't really like Paul. He says, no matter what it is, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm the, struggling to be true to Christ. And that's how I struggle for you. You heard Randy a, a few weeks ago in his sermon. And just beautifully, he said, I'm, I'm going to fight for you. you know, and it's not like we're going around picking fights. I'd lose that. But he says, I'm fighting for you. Here's what he means. We're guarding the pulpit that is for Christ and Christ alone. We're guarding the preaching ministry that it doesn't get sidetracked off into, into other things. Good things, noble things, beautiful things, but not Christ. Christ and Christ alone. That's what we mean. Paul said, I'm struggling for you. To keep Christ in front of you. And as a result of that, he says in verse 2, that, here's, here's the goal, this is why I'm, I'm struggling, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full understanding and assurance, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul said, I want you to be encouraged. And, I, and, I, and I'll see that encouragement in two things. I'll see that encouragement as you're brought into a unity of the body, knitted together. You know, maybe we say crocheted together, but, but knitted together. You know, we're, we're brought together and just made one thing out of, of this multi-strands of life come together and we are unified one together. Now unity can come from several directions. It can come from top down where a dictator just says, we all must do this. We all must do this. I know better than you do. You must do what I say. Say what I, I tell you to say. You, you, you just have to obey and it's, it's sort of a coercive thing. But the unity of the church comes from within. As the Holy Spirit of God um, just inhabits every believer in our midst. And that Holy Spirit brings us together to serve the one Lord Jesus, to serve our Father in heaven, to serve by the power of the one Holy Spirit. And that unity comes not because we figured out what we all should do and be and we're cramming our, all of us into, into one box, but rather because there is one God, one Lord, one Holy Spirit. And that's the basis of our unity. That's what brings us together. We keep our eyes on Christ and on Christ. Alone, So he says, I'm, I want you to be encouraged because you'll experience this great unity uh, in your life. And, and, and that coming together, that in and of itself will be an encouragement to you. But, he said, and, but the, the second thing he said is, I want you to be encouraged because of the beauty of the riches of Christ. The wonderful beauty of Christ. Now, in our world today, it's just so common to take almost every subject and dumb it down. It's the USA principle, USA Today principle. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the idea is, you know, whatever the subject is, we reduce it down to, to maybe a 20-word paragraph with a sidebar and an illustration, and that's all you get. That's all you need to know. Folks, we can never plumb the depths of who Christ is. And we never come to the, to the end of the, of the uh, dynamic beauty of of God's grace for us 
The more you learn, the more you know there is to learn. The more you understand, the more you realize you don't understand. And and it's just a wonderful process to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into the Word, into the glory of, of Christ, into the glory of who God is. And so Paul said that, I want you to be encouraged as you go deeply into who God is. But he gives that sort of a, a negative sort of expression of that. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So a lot of folks are going to come along and try to sidetrack you from the, the, the single beauty of the gospel. They're going to try to sidetrack you. You stay focused on Christ. And they'll come at you with plausible arguments. They'll sound really good. And you'll want to go after them. The Bible recognizes that. That's why it uses that word. It's a, uh, a very uncommon word in the New Testament, but um, it, it, plausible is a great translation for it. You know, it sounds right. You can make a good case for this, but it's just wrong. You know, when I went to uh, the university, I used to tell people I went to a small boys' college in North Carolina, uh, but in point of fact, it was Duke University. And while there, uh, I was uh, um, a political science major. That, that that explains a lot, doesn't it? But you know, in, in political science, we studied uh, uh, you know governmental structures and systems from the municipal to the federal level. We studied uh, international politics and foreign policies and and things of that nature. I, I spent a, a good bit of time in political philosophy, and that is looking at the different philosophical ways to organize a government. You know, and and uh, at, at that time, the Soviet Union was still around. Uh, and you get extra credit if you can explain the difference between the Soviet Union and Russia. But, uh, and, and, and the similarities, by the way. I don't know why. I was just, just stopped by the power of the Holy Spirit from lecturing you on Soviet foreign policy and its similarities to the Tsar. Okay, yeah, <laughs> But anyway, there, 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 there's similarities in Russian foreign policy all, all throughout. But, uh, you know, you're looking at that. But uh, communism, and to know the difference between that and Marxism, and the difference between that and socialism. Uh, by the way, we also looked at uh, national socialism, uh, and the difference between national socialism, which was in Germany, and fascism in Italy, imperialism in, in, in Japan. Yeah. I mean, these, these are, you know, they, they, it sounds sort of uh, off the wall. But what I want to tell you is every one of these philosophies sounded plausible if you accepted the presuppositions. Marxism makes perfect sense if you accept the presupposition. The presupposition of Marxism is that what's wrong with human beings is the system. What's wrong with human beings is the fact that they don't have enough uh, uh, equitable distribution of resources and that you have an oppressor class and that there needs to be that. And, and it goes into dialectical materialism, right? Now, then that explain it? Uh, uh, Jeff, it's left-wing Hegelianism as opposed to right-wing Hegelianism. Uh, right-wing Hegelianism results in, in um, uh, liberal theology. But left-wing Hegelianism works into Marxism. But, uh, but the, the, the basic... Foundational presupposition of Marxism is that people have problems because the system is wrong. And if we tear down the system we have, which is capitalism, at the time, uh, and we just rebuild this system in which everybody gets whatever they need and everybody works according to their ability, you'll have no crime, you'll have no need for anything, because after all, 
uh, we've gotten rid of the system. The basic presupposition of Christianity is that what's wrong with human beings is we are sinful. And that the heart is exceedingly wicked and deceitful above all things. And that at our best, we try to do the right things and we do the wrong things. Or we try to avoid the wrong and we do them anyway. But if you take the little thing called God out and you don't believe in sin, then Marxism starts to make a plausible argument. But by the way, so does National Socialism. So does Communism. They all make sense as long as you don't question the presuppositions. That's, that's, that's what I'm getting out of this word. Plausible arguments. Just because someone can make an argument for something doesn't mean they've made the argument. We can all make an argument. You've got children in your household. You know they can make an argument for what they're doing. They, in fact, oftentimes they make a plausible argument. And you don't know why. You just know they're wrong. Paul says, I want you to revel in the depths and the riches of the gospel. And just bury yourself in the beauty of who Christ is. And not be sidetracked by, by what sound like plausible arguments. You know, and they make a certain kind of sense, but they're not from God. And, and they're, they're not what, what God has ordained for us. Not get sidetracked into, into, into thinking that your life should be about something other than Christ. You know, Jesus did not come to this world to join something. Think about it. He did not join anything. He could have joined the Pharisees. Had a lot in common with the Pharisees. Belief in the resurrection, belief in the, in the presence of God, belief in the authority of Scripture, belief in the, in, in the, the supernatural. He didn't join the Pharisees, didn't join the Sadducees, didn't join the Zealots. They were the ones who were, uh, uh, if you will, back in the days of Christ, they were the ones struggling against the dominant power of Rome and trying to kick them out. And, and he didn't join the Zealots, didn't join the Essenes. The Essenes were a, a group of, of people and they thought, well, the best thing for us to do is go off and hunker down by ourselves and just have our own little private uh, Bible study and worship time and we just ignore everybody else. Didn't join the Essenes. Jesus doesn't join things. We are called to join him. We are called to give allegiance to him. And to him alone. And so that's why I want you to be discouraged. Encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged. Because Jesus is still supreme and sovereign. He is still Lord. We don't need to find something to join our, our Christian faith to. We need to make sure all of our allegiance is devoted to Christ. And when you do that, then you come to understand that what God is doing in the world can't be surpassed by what the world is doing. And we are encouraged because ultimately everything works for the glory of God. And that's a reason to be encouraged. So I, I would just ask you, you know, in, in your life, you know, very consciously in this coming week especially, but, but simply revel in who Jesus is. In a few moments we'll come to the Lord's table and, and given this situation we are in, we will still partake of the body and the blood of Christ. 
Jesus who died for us. And I hope your heart soars just a little bit to know that that blood and that body still saves, still redeems. And then also take a little time to revel in your church membership and in your fellowship with other believers and in the fact that God has not left us alone. He surrounded us with brothers and sisters in Christ and be reaching out to one another and listening to one another and embracing one another. Because we are encouraged because Jesus is still and always will be Lord. Let's bow for prayer. And Father, we thank you that uh, before we were born, you already knew of this moment. Before we came into existence, you had already designed uh, how we should live and you had already provided the way of salvation for us. We're so glad that that the things transpiring around us, you don't need news reports and, and analysis and talking heads, but Father, you simply are the God who knows. And we're thankful that your will for us is perfect and that as we latch on to you, we can have just absolute confidence that you will take us to that place in life that will bring you honor and glory. Father, we surrender ourselves to you that you might be absolute master over us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.